Thank you for listening to a podcast of Rock Church. For more information on sermons and events, connect with us online at rockchurchnow.com or search Rock Church Now in the App Store. is the son of suffering and God can identify best with us his sons and his daughters the reason why God can identify best with us is because he suffered for us really and let me tell you that is a message that our generation desperately needs to hear and you may need to hear it as well too the many misconceptions that are out there about the cross and Jesus Christ. Understand, he is the son of suffering. And he can identify with your pain more than anybody else because he's been there and he's done that. So Father, help us today as we conclude this series. We conclude a series about the cross. But we're going to stay focused on the cross. You're going to remind us today of your, of your suffering your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, which is new every morning. We're just in awe of who you are. You identified with us and like us and experienced the pain of life, the pain of death. You were the son of suffering. Make that cross real to us today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grab a seat. I don't know about you, but I'm loving our theme, Circle Up, for numerous reasons, numerous reasons, our our yearly theme, Circle Up. I I don't know about you, but it's time for real kingdom community. I said it's time for real kingdom community. Circle up also is a war cry, and I don't want us to ever forget that. And bring that up every now and then. It's a battle cry. And we're in this war, we're in this battle together in community. Don't you dare try to make, fight this fight on your own. You weren't called to fight on your own. You have a, a, a community and a kingdom to fight with. Someone say amen to that. Well, like I said, um, Final message in our series, Circle Back to the Cross. A little reminder, part one, Jesus was broken for lawbreakers, for justice, and he was also broken for the brokenhearted. In part two, which was last week, Jesus modeled brokenness. He modeled humility, and he calls us today, come on now, to model brokenness and humility as well. That's kind of what we got into last week. If you got your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Get there in just a little bit. Um, I hear politicians all the time saying that, uh, I will circle back to that. How many have heard that before? What about you? I'm getting a little sick of it. (laughs) Most of them never circle back to the issue or even the question. The word circle back means to come back to. It means to consider again. It means to return to. Well, how many know that you and I are not politicians? We are called to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. That was really weak. 
If you want to be a politician, you can circle back to that. Or you can be a proclaimer of the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim that Jesus was crucified. Amen? We're not going to just circle back. We're going to stay there. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.2 says this. It's Apostle Paul talking. He says, For I determined not to know anything. Understand, this guy's brilliant. All right? He didn't go to East Detroit. I'm just trying to tell you the truth here. All right? The man's brilliant. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Determined. I want us to get determined to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Not just to circle back to the cross, but to stay there. Stay there. Today what we're going to do is we're going to take... uh, Two uh, impactful truths that are about the cross. They might seem a little contradictory, a little opposing, but they are both truth and timely. Both of these views that I'm going to share with you are full of truth, and they're extremely, extremely timely. I don't know if this example is good or not, but I'll share it with you. Um, The truth is that I am both generous and guarded, protective and prudent. Some of you didn't get that. I'm generous with my time and generally speaking, giving to missions. I'm guarded, protective. Okay, I'm stingy, all right, with my food. (laughs) My philosophy is stay away from my plate. Don't make me hurt you. And Kimmy, who's been married to me for 30 plus years, will say things to me all the time. She's like, I just don't get you. Man, you're, you're, you're so giving to people. You give people everything and anything except a piece of chicken. And she says, it's appalling. I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. And then I tell her and remind her, I said, you did not grow up with the two sisters that I had. If you had the two sisters that I had, you would be protective of your chicken wings. How many of you I'm talking about? Okay, bad example. Here's the point. The message of the cross is both countercultural and cross-cultural. It is both. It is both. And a great portion of scripture that expresses that the cross is countercultural and cross-cultural is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we will read from verse 18 to 31. So, Apostle Paul again, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness, silliness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the the intelligence of the Of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what we preached to save those who believe. 
Jews, they demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, to Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, I think of what, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's some really good stuff. And there's a lot there. But first, what we want to do is kind of summarize some counter-cultural insights as we circle back to the cross. Again, first, we're just going to talk about some counter-cultural insights from that passage as we circle back to the cross. So if you're taking notes, and I know you are because you love the Lord and his word. Um, number one, the message of the cross is counter-cultural. The message of the cross, guys, listen, it cuts across the current. You need to get a hold of that as quickly as possible. There's some of you are like freaking out because not everybody wants what you have. It's cross-cultural. Against the current, the flow, the waves of what? Of all cultures, all generations. All cultures and all generations, beliefs and behaviors. I want you to know you preach the cross, it's going to cut across that. As well as all man-made movements, all man-made trends, all man-made communities, as well as all man-made traditions and religions. The cross just cuts across that. Now let me give you a, a decent definition of what it means to be countercultural. Simply this, your values and behaviors different substantially from those of mainstream society, often diametrically opposed to mainstream cultural movements. Does that sound like the cross to you? And it's this definition, guys, is a, is a major reason why we must circle back to the cross, because the cross cuts across what culture and society believes and how society behaves. So 1 Corinthians 1.20, Paul again, where is the wise person? Now, I don't know Paul's personality, but he's being a little facetious here. He's just not asking a question. Now, where is this wise person? Where's the philosopher of this age? And frankly, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm tired of how today we have so many philosophers so many different philosophies, as well as professional posters. How many know what I'm talking about? One of the reasons I got off Facebook was because so many people have social media courage, you know, and they act like they're these philosophers of life. And I'm like, hello, get me out of here, Lord Jesus. You know what I'm saying? The truth is, 
we've always had professional philosophers. It's not like it's a new thing. We'll get back to that in just a second. I think it's on steroids right now, okay, but it's always been here. What I want to do now um, is to share some past as well as some present movements, messages, and philosophy of culture. And I'm primarily talking about, talking about America for the most part. The philosophies of the 60s was peace, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it was also a time of rebellion and Eastern religion, Hinduism for the most part, that invaded America. I don't know if you realize that. The message of the 70s was to protect and to usher in, or to protest, excuse me, was to protest and to usher in postmodernism. Google that one. It also brought in disco to pop culture. You want to talk about a lack of wisdom. That's a miss. The philosophies of the 80s was get Air Jordans and make sure you have big hair. Remember that? And one of the philosophies of the 80s was just say no. Just say no to what? To drugs. Well, my question is, how's that working for us? The message of the 90s was don't get HIV and to have safe sex. However, the president couldn't even define sex. I'm just saying, all right? (laughs) The philosophy of the zeros was to be against traditional marriage and to be for the LGBTQT plus communities. The message of the teens was tolerance over truth. And if you disagree with anyone politically or morally when it comes to their views, you hate or you're a bigot. The philosophies today are deconstruction and indoctrination. And, and, and culture can no longer define a man or a woman. Hello. Now listen. The truth is, the deeper philosophies of, of, of modern culture, again, are really not new messages. Much of what I just shared, okay, these worldly ways of thinking, were, were, uh, they were similar to what was a part of the New Testament, at least in the church in Corinth. The Greek kind of Gentile world was finally hearing about God and Christianity, In fact, the countercultural message that the Apostle Paul is writing to, again, this new church in Corinth, had a bunch of baby new believers. Sound familiar? It's a church filled with pretty much new new believers. I think it's very similar to America today. And Paul is asking the new church, these new believers, to influence culture and to not allow culture to what? influence them. To some degree, that's what's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then Paul, what he does is he addresses some cultures that need either spiritual signs to believe, and then he addresses cultures that that need proof or intellect to believe. He kind of addresses both of those, because a high percentage of 
cultures are like, give me a miraculous sign and I'll finally believe God. And other ones are like, I need more facts and more proof. And Paul kind of addresses both of those in this short chapter. 1 Corinthians one twenty two, Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks or Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they look, they look for wisdom. The Jews be like this. Show me a sign, a wonder, a miracle, and I'll believe. Greeks or Gentiles, non-Jewish people, be like this. Show me some wisdom. Give me some facts, and I'll convert. And Paul be like this, 1 Corinthians 1.23, where he says, we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness or silliness to Gentiles, to Greeks. Is that incredible or what? See, God's word is clear that the message of the cross is countercultural to much of historical as well as modern wisdom, philosophies, and propaganda. And he's addressing both of those in this, in this chapter, all that in this chapter. B is this. The cross is countercultural to the religious. So A had to do with wisdom to those who are extremely intellectual, it's countercultural. And now the cross is countercultural to the religious. These are people who do not really have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Later in other books, Paul talks about how lots of people have a form of godliness, but they kind of deny God's power. So there's an aspect of godliness. There's a little bit of religiosity in them, but they really don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And that's what he's addressing here as well. He's addressing religiosity because a lot of people think that they're Christians because they've had a religious experience. And Paul's saying there's a little bit more than that. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.20, I love it. Here he is again. Where is the teacher of the law? Where are you at? See, the Jewish leaders and lobbyists landed on the law and only the law. Again, the cross calls out, where are all these teachers of the law? Where are you at? And he's willing to debate them. Paul, I'm afraid of no one. Whether it was an intellectual person or a religious person, Paul's like, let's talk about this. Let's reason together. Let's get in the marketplace and we'll reason together. And if you don't want to go there, let's talk in the synagogue. Where are you at? Are you teachers of the law? Because we've already learned that all of us are lawbreakers. Every one of us are lawbreakers. So Paul's like, where's the teacher of the law? You're all lawbreakers. And he's basically saying, if you have that take on Christianity or, or religion, okay, the cross is going to be countercultural to you. Because religious people think that they're good enough without the cross. I mean, that's the gist of it. And there are lots of people in society who are like, listen, I can know God apart from the cross. A lot of people are like that. Religious people are, are out to prove that they can keep all the law. They don't really need the cross. They don't need God's grace. I'm here to tell you, you can't keep the law. Two weeks ago, I popped up there the Ten Commandments, and you and I, by the time we got to the Third Commandment, we're 0 for 3. I'm just saying, all right? How many know you're 0 for 3 in a baseball game? That's a bad day. But if you're all for three standing before the Lord, that's a bad life. That's why you need the cross. That's why you need his grace. Are you with me? I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 1.23 again. It's just incredible. 
Paul's like, I'm not in the, your religiosity trying to be good enough. He says, he says, we preach Christ crucified. And that's a stumbling block. In fact, that word means to trip or to trap. It trips or it traps Jews. It trips or it traps people with religiosity. What trips them? The cross. Because they want to be able to earn their way to God. And he's like, no, you can't do it. There's a bridge. It's called the cross. You've got to go over the cross, right? You want to get to the Father? You've got to go through the Son, right? So the Jews, they trip over it. And it's foolishness to Gentiles. It's foolishness to, the cross is just foolishness and silliness to the scholars of society, so to speak. Okay, before we get to see. The law says you are condemned. It just does. The cross says you are forgiven. And the religious stumble over that. It's countercultural. Because most of culture is like, give them justice. And I told you two weeks ago, the last thing you want is God's justice. Right? Quit crying for that. Because he'll give it to you if you want it. All right? You want the cross. Because the cross, he trades, come on now, your justice for justification. And you stand before the Father just as if you've never sinned. The cross says you busted. I don't even have to, you know, let, let me say that again. The law says you busted. It just does. I don't even have to bring up, like, the Ten Commandments. You know, you guys are just busted. I know your background. It does. It, it just says you're busted. The, the law says you busted. The cross says you are free. You busted the law, right? You broke the law. But the cross says you're free. Isn't that incredible? And the religious, what do they do with that? They trip on that. They stumble. They don't like the fact that God's going to forgive that guy. You've got to be kidding me, God. Have you not seen what he posted? Have you not heard about some of his behavior? I'm just being real with you. The law says, the law says, you must do. Now, we're talking about salvation here, right? We're not talking about full throttle Christianity, but the law says you must do to earn salvation. The cross says it is done, right? It just does. It says it is finished. You believe? That's countercultural to religion. Religion does not want you to just be justified by God by belief. You must have to do something. There's, that the cross was just not enough. What else must you do to get to the Father? That's religion. The cross is like the blood of Jesus was enough for salvation. It's a good time for an amen. See, the cross is countercultural to really all non-believers. Um, now, at one time, all of us believed and behaved countercultural to the cross. It was a good time. In the first service, I had some lady in the front row belt out the loudest amen since the days of John the Baptist. All right? <laughs> I mean, like, like, if you can't, like, say amen to that, it's called pride. 
I'm just going to say it again. At one time, all of us believed and behaved countercultural to the cross. 71%, I'll take it. It's amazing how some people are like, nope, I'm not going to say that. You know why you can't say it? Because you still believe countercultural to the cross. Now you're like, well, I wear a cross around my neck and in my ear. The question is, have you embraced the message of the cross? Right? That's kind of what we're talking about. In fact, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 1.18. I read it earlier. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness, silliness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of God. So before we move on, just a quick, quick question. Are you perishing or are you experiencing the power of God? It's a great question. Because those who are perishing, the message of the cross is silly, foolish, not deep enough for me. I need something a little better than that. Come on, what else you got, preacher? Kind of a thing. The ones that are experiencing the cross, they are living in the power of God. They are encountering God's power in them and through them. That's what Paul's saying here. I was foolishly circled up in some silly, silly, silly circles. I know you've heard it 129 times, but I circled up with the party scene, and man, did I circle up with many who were just caught up in sin, including the one preaching at you right now. And here's what I thought when I was circling up with these party animals you know, I thought the Jesus freaks were the fools, you know? Not that I had a lot of people sharing Christ with me, because I really didn't, but the few that talked about Jesus, I was like, what is wrong with you? You know, you are foolish. You're going to give up your whole life for some dude that died on a cross? It just seemed foolish until I believed, right? All of a sudden, I believed, and no longer... Was the cross foolish? Ah, I began to believe what Paul said, that the foolish ones are the ones that don't believe the cross. And that's kind of what he's getting across here. He's trying to say, and, and it seems insulting, but he's trying to wake up a culture. He's trying to wake up a society. Who really are the foolish ones? The ones following the cross or the ones rejecting it? It's just a crazy thought. I wasn't just circled up with a bunch of party animal sinners. I was circled up with others who were beat up and broken and wounded by society as well as self. Um, and we were masking our pain, partying, simple as that, masking our pain in many other ways. But the people I, as I look back that I was circled up with before I came to the cross, they were beat up emotionally, relationally. Is that making sense? They were broken. They were wounded. As I look back, I didn't really see it as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old. But as you look back, you go, man, that dude, now I can see why he was so caught up in that. You know, I didn't know that Jesus was broken for the broken. I didn't know that. I didn't know that as a teenager. I wish I would have. Because who knows, it might have saved me some hard knocks, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, I'm not going to say that's the only message of the cross, but that's not a bad way to summarize it. 
That's a great word for this generation. People need to know that God was broken for the broken. If they could just understand that that is the real God, that is who Jesus Christ is. He was broken for those who have been broken by society, broken by sin, broken by evil and darkness, broken by their own decisions, broken by other people who have done mean, horrible things to them, that the creator of the world was broken for that. I'll tell you what, you just might get some people clinging to the cross. If they could just understand that that's the way God really was and is. So before we move on to point number two, um, I'm going to ask you to stop some things. Stop being shocked that sinners sin. You know, some of you are like, I can't believe society. Oh my goodness. Well, let me tell you something. Five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people couldn't believe what you were doing either. Stop being shocked. Stop being shook up. I talk to Christians now, they're like flipping out, man. You know, it's like, relax a little bit. Quit being stumped, right, by society and or sinners. Because it's countercultural. The cross is countercultural. People are going to stumble over Christ and the cross until they say yes to Christ and the cross. It's just the way it works. So number one, you know, the message of the cross is countercultural to those who are circling up with mixed messages and blended beliefs as well as unbelief. The message of the cross is countercultural to those circling up with man-made philosophies, man-made wisdoms, as well as man-made religions and traditions. Number two, the, the message of the cross is, is cross-cultural. Now, we talked about earlier when I started this message that the cross is both, right? It's both countercultural and what? Cross-cultural. It's both. It's how incredible the cross is. It cuts across culture, but it's also a bridge to culture. It's both. In fact, let me give you a decent definition of what cross-cultural means. It means to relate to and to recognize the differences among people groups, communities, ethnicities, nations, and generations while bridging them together. I don't know what else to say. There is nothing that I've ever heard of that, that, that relates to all the different people, groups, and communities, and ethnicities, and nations, and generations like the cross. And not only relates to, but recognizes the differences among people, groups, communities, ethnicities, nations, and generations. Nothing can bridge them together like what? The cross. It's cross-cultural. It's countercultural to those things, but it's also cross-cultural. Only God can do that. So A is this. The cross is cross-cultural to the wisest of the wise. I'm talking to you guys today. This is the group. Mark, you ready? This is all about you. Before you knew Jesus. The wisest of the wise, you know. Come on, brother. What high school did you go to? Oh, boy. All right. 
But when I get that altar call, I want your book right here, all right? Just sprint, all right? I haven't seen you ever run, but it's time, all right? Listen, no one, no one out-debated Jesus. They tried. You read the Gospels. They're trying to debate him all the time. I mean, he just he tore him up, man. And on many occasions, he just flipped the ridicu ridiculous questions right back on them. You know what that's called? Wisdom. <laughs> you know, he just read their mail, and they'd ask these questions, and he would ask an incredible question right back at them kind of convicting them of where they really were. Because they weren't really, it were smoke screens, you know. They'd ask this question, but they really meant this. And Jesus could discern it. Just brilliant, you know. And no one, no one was, was able to hang with the Apostle Paul philosophically. I don't know what your thoughts are about this guy, but he was as intellectual as anyone. You want to talk about the right man for the job? I mean, I mean, Paul, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, goes and gets the, one of the smartest men in society to reach the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. I mean, he goes out, he uses this guy named Paul. My son, I know some of you haven't met him because he's been away at college, but years ago when he graduated, he was on Channel 7, the brightest and the best. It's a generational thing. Um, <laughs> I was on TV too a few times, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know? Well, what I did was I handed my wisdom down to him, right? It's a heritage thing, you know? Valedictorians all over the state of Michigan um, were at this thing. I mean, I'm, it had to be two, three hundred all over the state of Michigan, just valedictorians. And my son's trying to introduce me to some of these valedictorians. And he's trying to pull me away from the buffet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't care what school that guy hit went to, Nick. You know, I don't really care. But listen, the great Paul, don't you miss this, the great Paul, who learned from the wisest in the world who learned from the brightest and the best. Yes, that Paul humbly bowed his knee at the cross. Please don't miss that. This is the brightest of the best. You're talking about one of the smartest men who ever lived. He was smart enough to know that he needed a, a savior. Isn't that incredible? So when people want to talk about, well, if, you know, intellectually is the Bible. Paul could handle anybody, anybody philosophically, because he was as bright as they come. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. For God chose the foolish, the silly things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, the smartest are really smart when, when they have shame over their sin. Just being real. You're smart when you realize that you've sinned and broken the heart of God. That's really, really smart. When there's some shame over, over your sin and they come to the cross to be forgiven, right? They come to the cross to be free. 
The strongest are really strong when they admit they're weak. Some of us are like, whoa, don't go there. No, no, no. You're really strong when you admit you're weak. If you think you're really strong, spiritually speaking, you're really weak. And if you'll admit you're weak spiritually, God will empower you. How? Through the cross. Through the cross. The cross is cross-cultural. The cross crosses over. And the cross is a bridge. And yes, even many of the wisest of wise and the smartest in society have to humble and admit that they need Christ and his cross. So just, if the apostle Paul, who is as smart as they come, can admit the challenge that he's given here is like, man, listen, if I can admit that I'm weak, if I can admit that, that I'm not all that strong and I'm not all that wise, surely you can too, and you can join me in humbling yourself at the cross. Incredible or what? And we're going to circle back to the cross, all right, because that's what Paul's talking about here. And when you circle back to the cross, no matter how smart you are, how educated you are, understand God is not intimidated by that. God's not against that. It's not like he doesn't want you to study and to learn. He just wants us to know that despite how much of a scholar you are, you need a Savior. Right? You need a Savior. And Paul does that. B. The cross is cross-cultural to the religious. I'm going to spend a little more time on this one. Again, no one could hang with the Apostle Paul philosophically, and no one could hang with the Apostle Paul religiously. The guy was top-notch in both areas, in both areas. Throughout the years, I have heard testimonies or stories of people that were trapped in thick, false religion. I've heard stories of people that were trapped in cults and the occult and witchcraft, Ouija boards and tarot cards and crystals, as well as many other dark places and practices. And this list of spiritual darkness shared in this picture, guys, is a bridge to truth. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Some of you, what you want to do when, when you know people are caught up in this is you want to rebuke them. Tell them how evil they are and how wrong they are. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that or a time for that, but this is a bridge to the cross. And what I mean by that is simply this. People that are caught up in this stuff are at least hungry for something spiritual. They're looking for the supernatural. They've settled for a counterfeit. The real spirituality is at the cross, Right? So you can fight them and tell them how wicked and evil they are if you want. You can go that route or you can say, man, you are super hungry for something spiritual and something supernatural. Let me give you the real stuff at the cross. And there's so many people, guys, that today are still caught up in much of this stuff. And I'm just encouraging you. I'm encouraging you to, to do your best to try to help them to see that there's forgiveness at the cross. Right? Forgiveness for following this stuff. That the Holy Spirit can be their guide, come on now, to true spiritual, uh, uh, true spirituality. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, they, they're following false spirits. When they say yes to Jesus, what dwells in them? 
the Holy Spirit, right? And, and the Holy Spirit can begin to guide them as well as to heal them through a lot of this present and past darkness. Who does that? God, the cross. We sang it earlier. My healing, my freedom. The cross covers both of those, even if you were caught up on these kind of religious things. And throughout the years, I, I've heard testimonies and stories of people that were just trapped in thick man-made religiosity. Maybe not this false stuff that's on the screen, but just man-made religious traditions, religious rituals, religious legalism, um, as well as religious liberalism and lawlessness. They're kind of caught up in, in religiosity. And the cross is powerful enough to be cross-cultural and to cross over and build a bridge to people who need a real relationship with God and to experience true freedom in Christ. Now, some of you are like, well, what's wrong with religiosity and traditions and rituals? Nothing really, as long as those things are, are birthed out of the cross, right? You can't, you, you can't work your way to God by doing more righteous things than bad things. And religiosity kind of teaches do these traditions, do these rituals, and you will be right with God. And Paul's saying, I don't care how much religious stuff you do, you will not get right with God without the bridge of the cross. There's just no life there, you know? I'm trying to help some of you because some of you are still caught up in some of these rituals and, these, and this religiosity and these traditions of man, and you're kind of hanging on to them, and the Holy Spirit's trying to get you to let go of them and to grab his hand so you can experience true freedom in Christ and true freedom and real relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, there's, but there's a lot of people like that. They're flipping out a little bit. And, and here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30. This is just incredible. He says, Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is what? Our what? Who's our Righteousness. Who's our holiness? And who's our redemption? Jesus. So Paul's like, Jesus Christ has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. What's he saying? That Jesus is exchanging, come on now, his righteousness and redemption through him for our sins. It's incredible what Paul's getting across here. He's saying that Jesus is, is willing to make this incredible trade. You give me your sin, and I'll give you my righteousness. Woo! Greatest trade ever, right? You, you, you give me your sin on the cross. You believe what I did on the cross. You give me your sin, and I'll redeem you. And I'll even make you holy. Somebody say amen. All right? But, but you got to make the trade. you got to make the exchange. And you, here's the point. You can't get righteous, holy, or redeemed apart from Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, wait a minute. I've been going to church almost every Sunday for 31 years. Continue to go to church. Okay, but that's not going to make you righteous or redeemed. Christ is, and the cross is. And you go to church so you can learn more about Jesus Christ and grow in your new faith. Someone say amen. Whew. All right. So Friday, 
I went out to lunch with an old friend of mine. And uh, what we used to do for years is on my Christian birthday, he would buy me lunch or dinner. And on his Christian birthday, I would buy him lunch or dinner. He would buy me ribs, and I would buy him a sub. Anyway, no. <laughs> Just kidding. And he wanted to uh, kind of rekindle the, uh, the tradition that we had. And that, you know, at my Christian birthday, he takes me out, and his, I take him out. So we, we met at this place called Mission Barbecue. Anybody been there? Moment of silence. It was, flat, it was flat out incredible. It changed my life. It was incredible. And he bought praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And it was kind of funny because when we were ordering at the counter, he's like, it's his birthday. She's like, it is. I'm like, yeah, it's my Christian birthday, but okay, you know. So we sit down to eat the ribs and, you know, generally when there's food in front of me, I'm not going to do much talking. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I began to listen to him as he began to tell me for the 50th time how he found Jesus Christ. I'm like, dude, I've heard this story 49 times. I, again? And he's telling, listen, this is so cool. He's telling me his, how he found Jesus like it was yesterday. And it was 36 years ago. And he's just going through everything. And I'm like, I, I, I could say, stop. Let me finish it for you. Okay, but then I'm going to have to stop eating the ribs, you know. So I just listened to the man, all right, and it was just flat out incredible that he still remembers coming to the cross. And he shared, I say all that because his struggle was religiosity. He wasn't in the occult. He'd never murdered no one. He'd never been in jail or prison like most of you, I'm just saying He was religious, but he didn't know Jesus. He had some, some, some knowledge of God, but he didn't know Christ. And he started going to churches that preached about being born again. And he began to drag his wife to churches that preached about being born again and relationship with God, not so much religiosity. And it took a while, but finally him and his wife both bowed their knee at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're willing to let go of the religiosity for real radical relationship with God the Father through God the Son. Is that incredible or what? So I'm just sharing that story because it happened 35, 36 years ago, but I want you to know that it can happen today. Listen, religion didn't result in Christ's righteousness or redemption. The cross did. Let me say that again. Religion didn't result in Christ's righteousness or redemption. What did? The cross did. If religion could result in righteousness and redemption, then you could earn your salvation with good behavior. And then you could boast in self because you could say, I have finally obtained it. I've pulled it off. It took me 47 years, six months, nine days, and an hour and a half, but I got it. You can go that route, or you can bow your knee to Jesus, humble yourself, and say, I need a relationship with God the Father, and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, and I'm going to exchange my sins for the righteousness and the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know? 
We're talking salvation, right? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.31. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in his good deeds. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in his religiosity. Someone's going to have to finish it for me or I will go on for two hours. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in? The Lord. Boast in the Lord. Why? Because he's the one that died for your sins. So you brag and you boast in what he did, not what, not what you did. When you circle back to the cross, you do not boast in self or in self-righteousness. You boast in your Savior and in your Lord. Amen? Last point. I'll let you go home. The cross is cross-cultural to all non-believers. This is really important. The cross is the great equalizer. If you don't get anything out of this message, don't miss this last picture and this last point. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Everyone. That's that's huge. Because we live in a generation where so many people are screaming for equality in so many different ways. And I'm here to tell you, you want to find equality? It's at the foot of the cross. We'll never encounter it any other way. Again, everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. That's incredible. God doesn't show any favoritism like certain societies. We're all equal where? At the foot of the cross. Every culture, every generation, everyone is invited to circle up at the cross. Everyone. I'm way more excited than you. If that's not a message that you and society needs, I don't know what is. They're all invited to circle up at the cross. The cross crosses over and builds a bridge to connect to any unbeliever who will put their faith Trust and belief in Christ. Is that incredible? And I understand about Paul just for a second here. He's intelligent. He's religious. And I didn't even get into, he's a terrorist. Really? Like, what? The guy who wrote most of the New Testament is a former terrorist? Yeah, he's he's a terrorist. He was the dude that was in charge of getting Christians murdered and are martyred. This, this is the dude that's writing most of the New Testament. Intelligent, religious, and a terrorist, and he's preaching the cross and his need for the cross. Is that incredible? He called himself the chief of sinners. That's what he called himself. I'm the chief of sinners. That's probably covering some of his, his, his uh, you know, martyring the Christians. He's probably covering that there. I'm the chief of sinners, basically saying, I am the top dog. Ain't no one sinned like me. Paul, not me. I'm right next to him. He's the chief of sinners. He's the granddaddy of them all. I murdered Christians. Some people believe that his, um, his not his Achilles heel, but his, his uh, thorn of the flesh 
that he couldn't get over was the fact that he murdered Christians and he couldn't forgive himself. And he had this thorn of the flesh that haunted him, even though Jesus did forgive him. Some people believe his thorn of the flesh was the simple fact that, 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 that he murdered Christians and he just couldn't get over that. And it was just something that haunted him his whole life. I don't know if that's accurate, but he's the chief of sinners. And he's not only the chief of sinners, he's the Pharisee of Pharisees. So what in the world does that mean? That means he's the religious of the religious. He's the top dog teacher of religiosity. And he's trying to get people to understand, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm as intellectually as they come. And I need the cross. I need to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus because everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Good time for an amen. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've not quite yet crossed over to faith, to trust and belief in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because to the scholar, the cross is too simple. It's just simple. Think about it, how simple that is. Are you saying that I can exchange my sins for Christ's righteousness. To the scholar, that's just too simple. To the religious, the self-righteous, the cross is not enough. You can tell someone that's caught up in religion because when it comes to salvation, they're always throwing something else on top of it. Jesus and. The cross and. So again, to the scholar, the cross is too simple. To the religious, the self-righteous, the cross, is, it's just not enough. It's got to be more. To the unbeliever, the cross is unbelievable. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. There's just no way that Jesus can forgive me of everything I've ever done by humbling myself, bowing my knee, and confessing him as Lord. It's just, what, it's too good to be true. It's, it, it, it's unbelievable. To who? To the unbeliever. Here's the truth. The truth is the cross is so simple. It's totally enough. And it is flat out unbelievable, incredible, and amazing. It's a good time to bark at the moon or something. Well, I have said that probably 80 times in my sermons and it's the first time someone obeyed me. <laughs> oh! All right. Got the spirit of Ozzy on you. And I expect you to be right next to Mark. Whew. Listen. The cross is simple because God chose a tree to trade sin for salvation. It's just simple. Come on, it's just simple. He chose a tree that he created, by the way, to trade sin for salvation. The cross is enough because there's nothing I can add to what Jesus did. It's enough. We're talking salvation. 
the cross was unbelievable because Jesus died for you and me. I don't know about you, but that is just unbelievable. I know me. I'm not sure 30-some years ago I'd buy me a cup of coffee, let alone die for me. It is flat-out unbelievable that Jesus died for me and you. I want you to stand. We'll see where God takes this. It was March 16, 19. Guys, act like you were there. Some of you weren't even born yet. I remember about on my 30th Christian birthday, I sang a song. It's been a long time since we rock and rolled. I'm feeling a little unction right now. Got a little flashback going, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if this is the spirit or flesh, but it's going to come out anyway. Oh, what a night. March 16, 1986. I was looking for just one more fix. What a savior, what a night. I I sang the whole song, and if you're like, I don't believe you, YouTube me. I am flat out famous. In some ways, that's my story. Yeah, I was beat up, broken, the list goes on. But the night I got saved, the night I gave my life to Jesus, I bowed my knee to him. I was looking for one more fix. And the drug addict that took my money never came back to that party. And after a year of, a year, a month of hearing about Jesus wanting to forgive me and give me a brand new start, I humbly bowed my knee to Jesus in my basement bedroom and I repented of my sins for eight hours. I'm not saying you have to repent of your sins for eight hours. Now there's a few people in this section, probably 13, 14 hours. Okay. You can do it in eight seconds, you really can. I got one more. Put that last quote up there if you don't mind, Sean. God will forgive, set free, and save anyone foolish enough to believe. That was a horrible transition, but a, but a good point. Isn't that something? He talks about all this foolishness and silliness in the heart of the whole passage is are you silly enough and foolish enough to believe the greatest story ever told? So before we move on, raise hand. Anybody in this section, you'd raise your hand and say, I need, I need the cross. I need Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. I need him to be Lord of my life. Anybody to my left here? I don't see that great. So there's a hand back there. Praise the Lord. Two of them. Awesome. Love it. got to move quickly. Anybody to my right, you just raise your hand and say, there's a hand. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
I love it. Another hand back there, I think. I, don't know. I love it. How about in the center section? Anybody, you'd raise your hand and say, I need Jesus. Praise God. Woo! I love it. We're, we're, we're kind of old school here. We, we, we don't like to embarrass anybody that's not our, you know, I'm not just saying four seasons, all right? But if you raise your hand, can you just walk right in here, just stand in front of me? We're not going to do anything weird to you. Yeah. Hey, awesome. Praise the Lord. Awesome. I love it. There we go. Awesome. Incredible. I love it, man. That's so cool. Way to go. Powerful. You're the man. Come on now. I love it. Love it! Woo! Do you realize how much courage it took to walk in front of these psychos? But for the most part, all of us have done something like this. And all we're going to do is going to lead you in a prayer. Everybody else out there is going to help you. It's really important, the Bible says, to confess Christ as Lord. Um, so that's all we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to bust out a prayer. I'll say a few words. I'll pause. You repeat after me. They're going to help you. All right? And then we got some filet mignon for you guys. Actually, the truth of it is, there is a thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when we go to meet Jesus, it's going to be better than filet mignon. All right. All right. Everybody, help me out here. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I give you my life. I admit right now, I need your cross. I need your forgiveness. I need a brand new start in life. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of every sin. And right now, I am born again by the Spirit of God. Jesus, you are my Savior, and you are my Lord. In Christ's name I pray. And everybody shouted. I love it. All right. I know. They're going to guide you in the back room, give you some instructions for the rest of you. Listen up. The altar's going to be open. And here's what it's open for. You just want to have an encounter with God and worship Him at the cross, man, right over here. But maybe you need to intercede for someone who isn't a believer. Pastor Steve got up here earlier and challenged us to invite people to Easter. Maybe you need someone to pray for you so that the people that you invite to Easter show up. Right? Or maybe you need healing or you need the Lord to just touch you in a powerful way. But I think we need to focus on the cross for a little bit. Amen? Let's just go after the Lord. That concludes this week's podcast. To stay up to date with all things Rock Church, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram as Rock Church MI.